You are watching Profile, success stories of ordinary people just like you and me. Thanks for joining us. My name is Robbie, and our next guest is on a mission to create leaders who will inspire and change this world. She is a TEDx speaker, leadership strategist, and an advocate for equity, diversity, and inclusion. She's a founder of Project Instigate, an organization dedicated to leadership, learning, and growth strategies. And she's here with us today to share her successes, her journey, and her many contributions to society. I want you to help me welcome Fatima Zaidi. Fatima, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, you know, tell us a little bit about you. Start as far back as you want to go. Who are you? In a formal way, uh, in which you've already introduced me, I'm the founder of Project Instigate, motivational TEDx speaker, and a leadership strategist and expert. Mm -hmm. In more informal terms, mm -hmm. I'm a very multi-passionate, visionary, and creative individual mm -hmm. who has set out to solve one problem that I find to be the most important problem in the world, and that is addressing apathy and creating a world that is full of empathy and compassion and inclusion. Let's take a step back. What was life like for you growing up? Because we want to know how do you get to where you are now? You, uh, what kind of experience you had and what drive you to want to do what you're doing today? Uh, so I was born and raised in Iran. Um, my family's from Pakistan and my dad had gone to Iran to complete his education and his PhD. And while he was a student there, he came back to Pakistan. He got married to my mom. They both moved back to Iran. So uh, I was born and lived in Iran till I was about 11 years old. Um, and I remember I, I, I grew up very multilingual. I grew up with a lot of different languages. Um, English, Urdu, and Farsi were the three main ones that I grew up with simultaneously. When people ask me what's my mother language, it's not one. And I went to what's, uh, what was called Pakistan's embassy school okay. um, in Iran. So I didn't go to an Iranian school. So I also grew up in a very, very multicultural environment despite the fact that I grew up in Iran. Because almost every single person going to Pakistan embassy school, okay. their parents worked in the embassy and when you work in the embassy you travel um, to different countries and typically they were going from country to country for four three to four years at a time but the one thing that was always even though everything around me was changing the friends were changing the situations were changing I noticed the one thing that was very consistent with me was I always wanted to help people every time there was a new kid that came to our class. Mm -hmm. I was the one approaching them, saying hello, making sure they feel welcome, right. making sure they feel included in the classroom, making sure they have a friend to talk to. Growing up in a South Asian family, you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, or an engineer. There's no other option, right? right? 
Right off the bat, I was never interested in a medical profession, but I felt like if I were to go into sciences or engineering, I could develop things and invent things that could help people. Uh, or if I were to go into the legal profession, I was interested in fighting for people's rights, right. uh, standing for what's the truth mm -hmm. at a really young age. So those were the careers that I was exploring. And then all of a sudden, my parents break the news to me and say, we are moving. Again. And I cried and I cried um, and I went on a hunger strike. Yes. Um, but it didn't work. We ended up moving to Pakistan. Okay. I changed many schools there and then I came to Canada. And I was dealing with a lot of culture shock. Right. So, for example, even little things like SkyTrain, that was new to me. And I found out that Skytrains don't actually have a driver. <laughs> so I was like, how does this thing run? <laughs> right. Or I would be walking down the hallway in my high school uh -huh. and I would see kids kissing by the lockers. Okay. And I would just stand and look around. Am I in a movie or something? I didn't know that kind of stuff happens in real life. <laughs> People kiss. Right. Oh my. So, but you know, so some of those things are funny, but there's also other aspects where I was already fluent in English, so that wasn't a problem. Um, I was academically adapting fairly quickly uh, to change, but the thing that was not working so well was bullying. I was dealing with a lot of bullying, everything from peer pressures to date to... Uh, being made fun of in classes for doing too well academically. So then I would intentionally lower my grades and then I would get bullied for being dumb. Um, I didn't grow up with physical education, so that was a learning curve for me. And I dealt with a lot of bullying in PE class. So being thrown things at or being picked last for things, um, just overall, just being made fun of kids on the way I was dressed, just walking down the hallway. I had this kid who tried to weld, clamp my finger into the welding machine. What? And almost weld my hand. And I pulled what? away. And I went to the teacher and I told her what happened. And she said, well, what am I supposed to do? And it was in grade 10 planning class that a guest speaker came in. He came in for five, 10 minutes, and he said, I'm from this organization, and we have a two-day leadership program, a two-day leadership workshop, and we want to invite anyone who wants to come in. But something about what he said really drew me, and I wanted to check out this leadership thing. Mm -hmm. And I showed up, and they were, two most amazing days of my life. They were difficult. We went through some leadership and personal growth training. And part of leadership is trust building. And after being bullied for three years straight, I had stopped trusting people entirely. And this two-day leadership workshop is what really turned things around for me. And it allowed me to completely um, open up a new door, a whole new world of the nonprofit, show me a new avenue in which I could change the world, make the world a better place, help people and make a difference. You mentioned your teacher mm -hmm. wasn't being effective. 
and mm -hmm. prevented this from happening. What mm -hmm. about your parents? Did you feel like you have anyone you could have told? I didn't tell my parents. I didn't want my parents to know. It was already hard enough trying to juggle two different lives. My parents wanted to make sure that I preserve that Pakistani culture that I'd really never lived. Um, and I felt like I was torn between two cultures. And I basically had a meltdown in a guidance counselor's office. And I started crying and I said, I can't please anybody. Everyone's unhappy with me. In school, I'm not Canadian enough. At home, I'm not, you know, whatever my parents want me to be enough. And uh, so that, that was hard. So I didn't want to tell my parents that I was also dealing with this. But my counselor ended up calling my aunt, um, who then uh, my aunt found out, so then my parents found out. And from there, I also became part of this, um, this leadership group, actually. After I did this leadership training, the organization called me back. And it was so timely. It was almost like it was meant to happen. Yes. They said, we're starting an anti-bullying campaign. And we'd love to have you on board. Would you like to be on board? And I said, yes. And that project not only allowed me to make an impact nationally in terms of learning about bullying and how to overcome it and applying those techniques in my personal life, but also teaching other kids and parents about bullying and how to overcome bullying. I learned quickly that every time you're being bullied, if you go tell someone, they start to tune you out. And they think you're just complaining all the time. So then I started this journal and I started writing everything. And then the next time I would see my guidance counselor, I would actually just submit my journal. And she would go through it and she'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe you're dealing with all this stuff. Having this group outside of school where I was learning about bullying and having a different crowd to be around, that was really helpful. For you growing up though, the biggest challenge you had was mm -hmm. literally the, the, the bullying, right? The bullying. Well, there were other challenges. Um, for example, um, gender norms, right? Um, I dealt with a lot of that. Oh, you're a girl, you can't do this. Like I was always growing up interested in martial arts, but I wasn't allowed. I was told that martial arts aren't for girls. Girls aren't allowed to be out of the home past dark. Girls aren't allowed to stay away from home overnight. Things like that. And it, there were just all these limited limits. Yeah. limits and expectations that you're a girl, you need to be like this, you need to sit like this, you need to walk like this, you need to talk like this. Girls can't be talkative, girls can't be loud, um, girls can't do this. And that, that was the other challenge that I dealt with. Um, that was more on the sort of cultural side. I think it's also part of what really drove me. The more people told me I couldn't do something because I'm a girl, I just had to do it and prove them wrong. Yeah. The experiences you have, how does it create the person you are? For example, there's a saying that says, the same hot water that hardens eggs also softens potato. Mm -hmm. That experience, did it turn into an egg or a potato? I'm gonna say an egg. And remember, egg is hard on the inside and soft on the inside still, right? Okay. Um, I would say what it's done for me 
is fueled a sense of justice, righting the wrong, um, wanting to give people the opportunities that they've never had. I went to, into criminology initially wanting to become a lawyer because of my uh, strong sense of justice. And by the end of it, I decided I actually wanted to work in prisons and help prisoners improve their lives and once they're released from prisons, get back out into the society. And I realized later that wanting to work in prisons and work with prisoners, it was the most literal form of metaphor for the mental prison I was in uh, most of my life. And I don't want to I don't want to exaggerate or understate anything. What I went through was very real, but at the same time, I also want to say it wasn't all negative, right? My family is a big advocate for women's education and women being independent and having their own careers. Where it became conflicting was on one hand, my dad wanted me to get my degree. On the other hand, he didn't want me to do night classes, right? but some classes were only offered at night and they were required. He wanted me to have a job, stable career, earn good money, but he was always concerned about me working around a lot of men. Well, you know, it, it, it's it, there was this constant, yeah. they want me to succeed, but then the cultural norms kind of forced them to bring me down a little bit. But I also use my dad as an inspiration in many ways because he's a public speaker and he's a go-getter and he's very outgoing and helps people. So in a sense, he was also my, was my first mentor and the person that I looked up to and wanted to be more like him. So it wasn't all bad. I don't want to paint a picture of like... Uh, this terrible childhood, I, I, I don't see it that way. You mentioned that you were invited to this anti-bullying program. What became of that? Um, we ended up traveling across um, the south coast of BC, going to different schools, community centers, places, um, doing education work around uh, anti-bullying. We went on a few national youth conferences in uh, Ontario and New Brunswick. We got to do some programs on anti-bullying there as well. Um, and we did a, a few TV segments. And we were nominated for the Rotary Club's Compassion and Empathy Award. That was very significant. We didn't end up getting that award, but um, it was... A good recognition. It was a good recognition, but also that in that moment when we attended that Rotary Club, it opened a door at that time that I never realized until now. I am now a member of Rotary Club myself. And that's what came out of it. Eventually, you know, as everyone graduated, got busy with university, things like that, the group kind of dissipated but I continued the anti-bullying work. To this day, bullying is a big part of my life and it's a big part of, it's something that I have a soft spot for, but it, it transitioned. So I went from working on anti-bullying to working with new immigrants and refugees, doing leadership uh, workshops and programs and seminars for uh, new immigrant and refugee youth. I started doing some translation work for detained refugees, teaching ESL classes, and eventually doing youth and women's empowerment work, which then more recently turned into 
um, a new opportunity that came my way, which was working in the area of homeless prevention and working as a disability support advocate and then a crisis interventionist, helping women who are fleeing abuse um, and have become homeless as a result of that. But when you get to university, mm -hmm. did you find your experience there similar where you are being bullied or it was different? Um, I think to be honest, we all deal with bullying at different times of our lives and age is kind of not relevant. Even though I experienced bullying, I was never a victim of bullying. I, I very strongly believe that um, victim is a very disempowering word and I refuse to give up my power. Um, and that's a really important thing going forward because positive and negative experiences happen all through our lives, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes some people are mean to us and sometimes we're mean to other people, whether it's intentional or it's not. But it's important to not see yourself as a victim. In university, uh, I was still doing some of this anti-bullying work on and off, but I also decided to run for elections for student council. Mm -hmm. And I was the faculty of arts representative, um, as well as the chair of standing committee on student life. I developed many programs at my university. My most popular one was an academic writing program, which was a seven to nine week course I created for students to help them improve their academic writing skills. I love working on systems and infrastructures and focusing on policy, even in my business, starting with strong policies to make something that is sustainable because it impacts everything. It impacts the culture you're trying to build. It impacts the impact that you're trying to create. And it impacts how sustainable you will be in what you're trying to do. It all starts from having strong foundational policies. Growing up, I hated money. I hated businesses. I thought money is evil, rich people are greedy, I believe that businesses are horrible, uh, why can't everyone just kind of do everything for free and uh, just be there for people because I was so involved in the nonprofit sector where all of the services we offer are for free. And so I went from this transition of volunteering so much, I had over 10 to 15,000 hours, maybe more, in leadership development, in giving back to the community and working with all these nonprofits, having a full-time job while full-time schooling, while working with all these nonprofit agencies. But at the end of the day, I gave away all my talents, all my skills, everything for free. And when I was ready to move out of my parents' house, be an independent person, I couldn't because Volunteer work, no matter how much impact it's having, couldn't, the, those 10 to 15,000 hours could not put a roof over my head and they could not put food on my table. And it was in that moment that I decided I need to change my mindset. And I promised myself I would not be committed to one system. And no matter what system I'm part of, I will learn it and I will dominate it instead of holding on to this, this is how things should be and grasping the reality of this is how things are and what do I need to do to learn and better myself.
and I realized I want to start my own business. Right. That was the first time I actually said I made a commitment to myself mm -hmm. to start my own business. Mm -hmm. This was in 2015. Okay. And the funny thing is, I didn't actually start my business till 2018. I was busy graduating from university, doing my thesis, doing other stuff. And all of a sudden, you know the Facebook memories? Mm -hmm. You see those old posts? I saw an old post from 2015 and I had posted on Facebook, I am making a commitment to building a successful and sustainable business. And people are asking, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do leadership work and I want to do policy and program development, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, you can't do that for this, this reason. And you can't do that. And that's not possible. And that's impossible. And I could see myself in the comments. I'm going on and on. And I'm just like, I can do this. Watch me do this. Um, and I'm going to make me, make it happen. Yes. And when I saw that post, I just sat there in awe, but also kind of laughing at the same time because it reminded me what it is that I was originally wanting to do, which is my passion. I like policies and I like leadership development. And when 2020, um, the pandemic happened, I had this brief moment of, oh shoot, what am I going to do now? Because leadership development, you need to be in person to do it. And now I can't. And then I thought, well, you know, I've always been nervous about doing things online. It's now or never. And I switched my business from being 100% in person to 100% online. And that transitioned, again, opened more doors. And now all of a sudden I've met people in Australia and South Africa and U.S. and Dubai and who wherever else all over the world I'm meeting people who I would have never met otherwise and the connections that I have with them with them are more deeper and genuine than most of the connections I made in person and so the pandemic just accelerated what could have taken years to develop in my business did it for me in three months and six months so it's been this year has been a just the, the year to just go out and try things without that fear that holds you back yes right and that's what you've been talking about is project instigate yes all right what is project instigate project is anything that sets your soul on fire mm -hmm. anything that helps you get out of bed in the morning and instigate means to take action so in project instigate i create leaders who want to maximize impact, deliver results, and instigate change. And I do that by helping them feel more empowered and less overwhelmed and helping them create the steps they need, the strategies they need to lead them to success. It's all about the next lowest hanging fruit. What is the next thing you can do? One of the things that I'm completely obsessed with is helping people reach their goals exponentially faster than they could on their own. To be a leader, you don't need some kind of a fancy title. You don't need any kind of you know power suit or anything like that. A leader is an action taker and a problem solver who believes in a vision 
that is greater than themselves. While Project Instigate focuses on leaders that are entrepreneurs uh, and leaders of nonprofits and businesses, that's not all that leader is. First component is understanding leadership and who are you as a leader. Second is learning. Only until you learn to learn better do you learn more and grow yourself. And the third one is growth strategies, which is personal and professional development and growth. A leader that says, oh, I'm the leader now, I don't need to learn more, is going to plateau and go down fairly quickly. As a leader, you always have to be on top of learning and educating yourself and opening your mind to new ideas and new concepts. So what's next for you? I would like to do more corporate training. I'm very passionate about transforming work cultures. And I'm very passionate about taking places that are very toxic to making them more positive environments where people actually look forward to come to work every day. One of my flagship programs is called Compassionate Leadership. Um, and Compassionate Leadership is all about compassion being the foundation of everything we do and how we lead people. And that is a big program that is coming up uh, in March. I'm in the process of developing my own planner, productivity planner. I've been wanting to do a leadership conference. I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like in terms of the pandemic. Something I would like to be able to do in the near future is go to developing countries and build schools and libraries to open people's minds to their potential. What message do you have mm -hmm. for people, people who have questions, whether they are going through Buddhism, whether they they want to identify what's their purpose, what mm -hmm. really they want to go in life. What message do you have for these people? Your mindset is going to be the breakthrough between your success um, or breakthrough to your success or you being caught up in the same cycle. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I want to caution people is buying products around mindset. I see so many social media gurus and so many people and so many business coaches and uh, spiritual and healing coaches and so on and so forth. They're all selling mindset. And to me, that is the biggest scam of the century. What they will do is they'll come on board, don't teach you anything, they'll lecture you about mindset, and then when you fail, they'll say, your mindset just wasn't good enough. My products work, my uh, programs work, my services work. If you failed, it's your mindset. A good leader that you follow should be open to growth and change and recognizing that their products and services are not perfect, that they need room for improvement. So you have to be very careful about people who are dodging your question who are blaming it on your environment, who are blaming things on your mindset, instead of really talking to you about proper uh, strategic ways of doing things. Selling you fluffy BS is what I'm talking about. That's my word of wisdom. And I think this is so important to carry forward in 2021 and beyond 
because this is the trend right now and it frankly speaking drives me bonkers. How do people get to work with you? So there are a few ways of working with me. Um, the first step is to go on my website, Project Instigate, and actually book a leadership strategy session. We'll talk about what is your current challenge that you're dealing with. I'll get to know you a little bit better. And I will um, tell you which, which program would be most suitable for you if we are the right fit to work together. Not everyone is the right fit. But I have a mastermind group uh, where we come together and you meet other like-minded individuals who are growing their businesses or nonprofit organization. And you get a community of very supportive and down-to-earth people who are going to help you accelerate success. And I can also, if you manage teams or you lead teams, I can also come to your workplace, either virtually or in person, whatever you're comfortable with and the space, the suitable space that you have. And I would love to talk about compassionate leadership or inclusion, diversity, or even create a custom program based on your needs. Yeah. Any final words you want to add? I want to create leaders by helping them maximize impact, deliver results, and instigate massive change so they feel more empowered and less overwhelmed on their journey to make a difference. Because success does not take place in a vacuum. We're all interconnected and we need each other. And if we want the world to be a better place, um, we can't do it alone and we need others. And I like to help people make a difference in the world and by helping them on their journey, I become a little bit of a part to that greater success. And I can influence the world by mentoring others. Thank you for your, your words of wisdom. Mm -hmm. you know, lots of personal, passionate, mm -hmm. you know, you share with us, happy for it. And I'm sure you out there will enjoy and find our information very beneficial. Lots there. Thank you for watching and I'll see you next time. Bye.